and welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read another Glenn Beck Christmas book so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read The Immortal Nicholas by Glenn Beck. Joining us to discuss this Bible fanfiction is Caitlin, a glutton for punishment. Hello. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome back. Thank you. (laughs) Right off the bat, I would like to state for the record that we did give Caitlin the opportunity (laughs) to choose not to read another Glenn Beck Christmas book. I had to complete the trilogy. We're not (laughs) monsters. (laughs) Yeah, Caitlin. Not about this anyway. (laughs) If you haven't listened to our episode about it, uh, we did read Glenn Beck's other Christmas book, The Christmas Sweater with Caitlin. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you haven't listened to that episode, I I mean, I guess I recommend it. I like just honestly, no book that we've read has filled me with more actual genuine despair than The Christmas Sweater. Like I'm still a little fucked up about The Christmas Sweater. I still can't believe I made like, it through that entire book. Like, not just, oh, this book was bad. Like, to my soul, it felt, it was just, like, so raw and so sad, but in in an unintentional way, I think. Like, I feel like, like, we go back and forth a lot about what the worst book we've read is, or I do at least, because, like, we read Dianetics, and that thing was nine million pages long, and nonsense garbage that I could not keep track of as I went. So I feel like I hated that book the most, but the Christmas sweater is maybe the worst book. Yeah. They're worst in different ways. Yes. And so this is a thing, by the way, uh, plug, thank you again to our Patreon supporters. We have hit the milestone where we need to come up with a definitive way to rank all of these books. And so I feel like we are going to need to come up with a rubric because Kate says she's gone back and forth, but I, in my soul, am sure that the <laughs> Christmas sweater is the worst one just because of the psychic damage that it has done to me. So you got to figure out how to rate these books and how to take into account because I'm not being funny. I'm not making a joke. That book was genuinely so upsetting. Yeah, like, I feel like that's the book that made me feel the worst. Yes. So that has got to count for a lot. An objective quality level, Dianetics was so garbage yes. that it was the worst in a different way. Yeah, we're going to have to come up with, up with a grading rubric for this. Exactly. Anyway, so the, the first the Christmas we read was garbage. Um, mm-hmm. But so then a side note of that, or as like an, a side effect, I guess, of having read the Christmas sweater and also having done that kind of dig like delving into Glenn Beck's Wikipedia page and learning all about his like childhood and his life I think that made me a little bit more prepared for what's happening now which is that Glenn Beck got a little bit woke and a lot of people are sort of confused by that yeah and I mean I'm still surprised but I'm like oh I guess I can see where this is coming from So if you haven't missed it, we'll link to some articles, but basically, you know, Glenn Beck obviously used to be on Fox News, very conservative, very whatever, and he came out and said he thought voting for Hillary Clinton was a moral choice in this election, uh, that, you know, that Donald Trump is dangerous and the party, Republican Party, needs to denounce him, 
that Steve Bannon is terrible. Like, you know, pretty sort of basic good things to say that are just sort of surprising from any conservative radio host to say. Yeah, he was on something, I I don't know what program, on some network where he was supporting Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Which, it's just, it's, it's so weird. And then I see all these people who are saying, like, oh, like, well, he's you know, a a political performer, like he's a pundit, this is what he does. And I'm like, I don't know, like, I read this book that he wrote, where I think genuinely, like, I think it's genuine, like, I don't, obviously, he's not like a perfect savior of politics in America by turning and seeing common sense and decency. But like, I do genuinely believe that he, it isn't like a game that he has genuinely seen common sense and decency. Yeah. Yeah. I put together just a little brief timeline excerpted from his Wikipedia page that I would like to share. So 1979 is when Glenn Beck's mother drowned in what was possibly a suicide and what Glenn Beck has identified himself as a suicide. And then 1984, Glenn Beck joined AA and got sober. Apparently has been sober this whole time. 2008 is when A Christmas Letter was published. The worst book. The saddest book. 2011 is when Glenn Beck left Fox News and founded his own website slash radio, I think. The Blaze. And then in 2014, he announced that he had been suffering from a severe neurological disorder for the last five years, which he said, quote, quite honestly made me look crazy. It's sort of vague what the details of this are, but he has been treated and says he's better from that now. And then in that same year, he left the Republican Party and registered as an independent, And then in 2015, this book, The Immortal Nicholas, was published. And now here we are in 2016, where he is, like, somewhat woke to the dangers of Donald Trump and the alt-right and, like, whatever. Like, it's a lot, Glenn. It's a lot. And part of what, like makes me is so shocking to me not in a like I said like I'm not necessarily having known all this about him like I'm I do think it's genuine but I think what's surprising to me is that as he says this he takes responsibility for it like in a lot of the things that I've read like interviews and stuff like he's saying like we did this like this is our fault not you know oh, like, the Republican Party is crazy and, like, all this, he, like, genuinely is, like, you know, the way that our rhetoric and the way that we have said things and done things has directly led to this. Which, uh, you know, yeah, I gotta gotta give him credit. Like, I'm of the mind that you gotta give people credit when they change, or otherwise what's the impetus to actually change and do good, you know? Okay, so we'll we'll link to some of these articles that we're referencing and things about Glenn Beck, but we just wanted to start off with that kind of backstory to Glenn Beck and Worst Bestseller's relationship with Glenn Beck. And so this book that we read, The Immortal Nicholas, is about Santa Claus, and on the like marketing material for it, Glenn Beck says that 
he had become concerned that his children were, you know, being very capitalist about Christmas and that they, you know, that they'd forgotten that Jesus is the reason for the season. And so he started making up this new, this story as a bedtime story to tell them, to make them, like, realize that Santa Claus was related to Christianity and to the story of Jesus's birth and to put it all together for them. And I just can't, this story, I can't imagine receiving it as a bedtime story. It is straight up Glenn Beck's Bible fan fiction. Yes. It is 100% Glenn Beck's Mary Sue original character meets up with the three, the three Kings and then meets Jesus and like follows Jesus and is like Jesus's silent protector and is there for all of the Bible stories that, you know, like just outside of the frame, it is straight up his Mary Sue self insert Bible fan fiction. Yeah. 1 million percent. (laughs) Yes. And then also, I thought it was going to be an origin story for Krampus also, the, like, like the naughty German Santa, or, like, whatever the fuck Krampus is. Because there is a character in this named Krampus who is sort of scary and who hangs out with the guy who becomes Saint Nicholas, but then Krampus just dies, and he doesn't really do anything Christmas or Krampus-related, so I'm not too clear what that was about. Except for being, like, a super weird relationship for Nicholas to have. Yeah, because actual Krampus is this, like, goat demon thing who punishes, like, the naughty children. Like, it's like a a Santa-Krampus team where Santa rewards the good children and Krampus punishes the naughty children frequently by, like, taking them and putting them in sacks and stealing them away and shit like that yeah but that's this Krampus doesn't do any of that no he has nothing in common with actual Krampus except for the name actual quote-unquote Krampus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah with the, the, the non-fiction story of Krampus <laughs> uh so I guess we should summer like get into the plot of this yeah. Um, well, like like we said, it's basically his. It's it's basically Glenn Beck's self-insert Bible fan fiction. It starts with his OC Agios, whose wife has died. He he harvests frankincense resin. Yes, which, which is su- super... um, sidebar for those listening who haven't read a lot of self-insert fanfic. OC is original character, not Orange County. I just, yes. just want to interject that. So uh, Agios's family owns or, or knows where this grove of frankincense trees are, and frankincense resin is, like, super expensive and, like, very expensive, I guess. Yeah, the word which, I mean, for. is why it was one of the gifts for baby Jesus, because it was so expensive and valuable. And he's, um, like, that's what his family does, is they harvest this, and then they sell it, and they live on the one harvest for a whole other year, and then do it again. Which, right off the bat, I have some issues with this, because if one pellet is so expensive and valuable that, like, you can buy, like, basically anything in the world with it, then I don't understand why 
they don't have a nicer house and stuff like that. Yeah, but they're, whatever. like, very poor people. Like, it's like you're very poor, but you live on top of a gold mine. And you get the gold regularly and give it to other people. Yeah. For, like, regular well, money. And then also, God, I, so I, like, because I was so thrown by what happens next that I Googled and did some research into frankincense. Although I didn't do a deep dive, so I'm not totally sure how like how often you were actually able to harvest the frankincense. But uh, before uh, his wife and his other child die, wait, did his wife die in childbirth? Yeah, he, yeah. So he just has one son left, and yes, and and they protect the frankincense by putting snakes in the frankincense trees. And so that's the part that I googled. So I was like, "Wait!" So he like, like caught snakes and relocated them. Like what? And so I guess that it what like part of the reason why frankincense was so expensive is because these adders like did live around those trees and they were very deadly. So you had to like risk the snakes to get the frankincense. But I did not find any evidence that people like actually put the snakes there themselves. So that I think was maybe just a little flight of fancy. Uh, also, Herodotus is the one who wrote about this maybe first on the historical record, and he said they were dragons, which they are not. Which is addressed Late, yeah. in the story later. Um, but yeah, so his wife dies, and he has this son who's like his pride and joy and the only thing he loves in the world. And for whatever fucking reason, he takes him for the annual harvest, sends him down into the frankincense trees by himself... And then is shocked when he gets bit by a snake. And as he gets bit, Agios is lowering him down with a rope into the frankincense tree grove. And he ends up dropping the rope after he gets bit. So he falls and like, even though he would have died from the bite pretty soon anyway, he also then falls down this mountain and Mm -hmm. dies on the ground. Yeah, like, just basically to make Aegeus feel more, like, guilty about it. Yeah, you make sure his son was super dead. Um, And Aegeus is so fucked up about it that, like, all he does is cry and drink and cry and drink. And eventually he's captured by these guards who come after him when he's drunk and kind of wandering around. And he they think he's drunker than he is, so he kind of plays into it and then attacks them. But there are still two of them, so they subdue him and they bring him uh, to this camp where they're going to... He's a prisoner and they're going to make him a slave or whatever until there's a broken... I don't know, thing that goes on top of elephants to carry people. And Aegeus yeah. is a woodworker. So when he sees it, he says, you know, I think I can fix this. If you can get me X, Y, Z and this type of wood. And the guy in charge of the camp is like, yeah, like, let's, let's see if he can fix it. And he does like super well. Cause he's a super good carpenter. <laughs> Just yeah. like Jesus. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> so eventually they he's not like really a prisoner anymore. He's allowed to be like one of the gang. Yeah. And it turns out that this camp, this group of people, is a camp headed by Casper, who's one of the three kings. Mm-hmm. We know. Aegeus you heard of know him? <laughs> <laughs> 
who says like, oh yeah, like I'm looking for a really good gift to bring this king that's going to be born under this star that I see. Do you have any suggestions? Wait, no, he knew, he knew, uh, he knew he wanted the frankincense because they stole it out of his clothes. Oh, right. right, right, right. He had sewn it into all of his clothes so that people wouldn't so i think that was partly why they kept him around because they were like you know where to get more frankincense right bro you can help out yeah and he kept telling them and initially his thought was that he'd go with them and show them where it was and then let himself get killed by the snakes there where his son was killed and be with his son's dead body but on their way to the frankincense grove, uh, they see this giant, ugly slave who's, like, all gnarled and mute. And they go back and forth in how... Or he goes back and forth in how... And this is Krampus. And they go back and forth in how he is described to the point where I'm like, I don't know, like, is he disabled or is he just ugly or, like, what is he? Yeah, they're not very straightforward in their description at all. He could be, you know, physically disabled or he could just be... Uh, just yeah you never really know is he developmentally disabled or is he just like traumatized and kind of shy we never really know we just know that for whatever reason Agios is like hey I want you to you guys owe me a favor because I saved you from bandits and I'm showing you where the frankincense is and I fixed your elephant car I want you to not to save that crazy slave man and they're like okay and as payment for his services Casper's like hey is there anything that you want and he's like yeah I want you to give me Krampus yeah and it's it's very clear it's not I want you to free Krampus he wants he gets like the official paperwork and gets the seal and all that to show that he is the owner of Krampus yes um, but so they do um, harvest the frankincense and Casper says to him, look, I don't want to travel with a whole group where I'm going to meet up with two of my other king friends. I'm going to be carrying this like super expensive stuff that's really valuable. There are going to be robbers. Would you and Krampus for a fee like we'd pay you come with us and act as guards on our journey to meet this baby king? And... Geos did not kill himself at the frankincense place because now he feels beholden to Krampus, like Krampus depends on him. So he can't kill himself because he needs to take care of him. And he's like, uh, yeah, fucking sure, whatever. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, also, uh, they are kind of having like a spiritual talk and Geo says, you know, he doesn't believe in God because there's so much like fucked up shit in the world that there obviously there's no God, obviously. And Casper the King is like, ah. Oh. And so they they go and they journey on through the desert and they end up meeting up with uh, Balthazar and uh, what is it, Melchior? That Who's sounds, the other one? That sounds right. Uh, yeah, I went to Sunday school once. I saw next <laughs> or I saw Spring Awakening. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, they meet up and the three kings all end up meeting together and they follow this star in the sky towards where this baby king is supposed to be. And along the way end up going to Herod, King Herod, and like telling him the whole story about how we're looking for this baby king, king of kings. And if you know your Bible, Herod's like, oh, really like a better king than me, like the the kingliest king. Cool. When you find him, why don't you tell me where he is so that I can worship him too? And uh, Geos is the first one who's like, you know, I don't think that Herod guy is above the board. I don't think we should tell him. And they're all like, yeah, he's a little weird. He's like, Krampus doesn't like him. I I think he's up to no good. Yeah. Yeah. So they had they had gone to this little village, and um, Geos and Krampus were sleeping in a barn, and this shepherd kid, because because Krampus can't sleep indoors because of. Abuse, oh, because he, he was a galley slave in a ship, I think, and it was too small, and so now he doesn't like inside at all. He likes to see the I sky. Guess. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. As much as anything in this book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this shepherd kid comes and finds him and is like, oh my god, you'll never guess what happened to me and my friends the other night. We were tending our flocks on a hill when an angel came to us and told us that there was this newborn king that we had to go see and brought us to this manger and there was a baby there and it was amazing like you'll never believe it it was so great and he's like actually i do believe it because my friends are looking for this guy so he he tells the kings about it and they figure out where um jesus and mary and joseph are and they head over to that inn and look upon the baby jesus and present their gifts and everything and Krampus is so moved by the sight of this baby that he's like sobbing and falling over himself in worship and whatever else. And the kings are too. And Aegeos is basically like, it's a baby. I've seen those before. Yeah. I had one once and it's dead and now I'm sad about it. And now this baby's making me sad too. Yeah. Oh, and, and then the kings have their dream about Jesus and they all have the same dream, and Aegeus doesn't, so they're like, oh, you can't sit with us, Aegeus. Yeah, they all dream, I think, about Herod coming for the baby. I think so, yeah, and Aegeus is like, yeah, I told you the guy was shady, and they're like, yeah, but you didn't dream it, though. So you should go wait outside, and the three of us and Joseph, who all had this dream, we're gonna talk over here. We'll see you later. Very mean girls. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they come up with this plan um, because of something with religion. They immediately need to bring the baby to this temple in Jerusalem. Yes. I think so. And so they but they have to do it because of religion. But obviously Herod's going to be looking for them there because he knows that the baby is Jewish so they ask Aegeus and Krampus and say, could you go with them to make sure they don't get murdered on the way? And Aegeus is like, sure. And Krampus is still fucking crying because he loves the baby so much. And uh, they travel <laughs> along the road to the city. And Aegeus like, does some fucking sitcom 
antics to get them into the city by like distracting the guard by pretending he's his drunk best friend from college. Yes. I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> this is literally <laughs> a thing that happens in this book. Correct. It literally does. And so they do their temple thing and they get afterwards, they get them to a safe house in Egypt and Krampus and Aegeus sort of go to Egypt with them and then kind of like make their home in a cave on the hill. Yeah. And I definitely, I think it's key to this whole part that, you know, he is always kind of protecting them, but never comes near them. He's always protecting from afar uh, just because he's like, you know, baby Jesus reminds me too much of my son and I can't save him by being close because by being close to my son, I got him, you know, I killed him. So this is a reoccurring theme of always protecting from a distance. Right. And also, so as, you know, not to interfere too closely with the actual Bible canon. But just... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Also, throughout this, it's very troubling to me that the relationship between Nicholas, or Aegeos, who becomes Nicholas, and Krampus is, like, so shifting and so weird. Because there's never a mention made of him being freed. Like, on paper, he's still a slave the whole time. But sometimes they're friends, and then sometimes he thinks of him as being, like, a son. And then sometimes it seems, like, a little romantic. And I didn't even want it to... Like, I'm not saying that I ship them, but sometimes it was just, like, you know, gazing at Krampus and thinking about, like, how loyal he is and how, like, they've been through so much together and, like, whatever... And like, what? Pick one. <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely weird. And then like Krampus learns to talk a little bit and communicate with the Geos, but he's still, again, like either he's developmentally disabled or he just doesn't understand language. Oh, because another one of Aegeus's Mary Sue abilities is that he can speak like 12 languages. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, yeah, he learns them very easily. So yes. he speaks whatever Krampus's native language is, but, but Krampus doesn't really. Yeah. And then like over time, they he starts speaking a little bit more and at one point, like, mean boys from the town attack him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Aegeus has to save him. And essentially, he's like, oh, like, all these mean people, you just need to stay inside all day. Eventually, they hear that Jesus is left. He's leaving and going back to um, Nazareth because Herod's dead. Oh, because they had killed all the babies, too. Like, they find out that Herod did the thing where he killed all the the baby boys. And there's this really awkward scene when they're going into the city, or maybe coming out of the city, where they're, like... Where the the guards are checking all the babies, and there's a baby girl, like a toddler girl. Is this what you were going to talk about? Yeah. Yeah, and so, like, Aegeus overhears them wanting to check this, like, two-year-old girl, and the parents are like, well, she's a girl, she's not a boy, and they're like, well, take off her pants, like, we have to see, and they're like, but she's a girl, and then, does Aegeus interfere, or does it just, like, play out? Yeah, so they, they say, like, you know, she's a girl, and she's, like, three, and they're like, well, why didn't you tell us that she was a girl, and she was three? It's just very strange. 
Yeah. And I, I, to the point where I was like, is although I guess this book was from last year, but I, I was yeah. almost like, is this some kind of commentary on, like, trans bathroom issues? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, it was, it was, because it didn't have anything to do with anything. Like, we already knew that they were checking for babies. So, I don't know why that happened. Um, but anyway, uh, Jesus goes back to Nazareth, and they basically assume, well, okay, now that Herod's dead, our watching over Jesus' job is over, let's settle down with a little farm somewhere, and, like, chill. So they raise goats or something, or sheep, and Agios has been carving these little wooden figurines. Oh, yeah. Which he was even doing when, when they were in Egypt. He was carving them, but because he hates talking to children, because they all remind him of his dead son, he would just leave them around places for the children to find. And he made one for Krampus of baby Jesus that Krampus, like, you know, cried and loved because he loved baby Jesus so much and carried with him everywhere. And eventually they they hear that Jesus is not only, like, alive and well, but, like, 30 years go by and they hear that he's the Messiah. preaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and has, has, like, all these followers. So they decide to go back to following him or something. Yeah, and, okay, and so this is what I'm not totally clear about, is they're on their way to wherever, and they stop at a well, and is it that Jesus asks a Samaritan woman for water, or does she ask him for water? One of them asks I... the other for water, and and I... I'm pretty sure this is in the Bible when he's like, oh, if you drink from this, you'll never be thirsty again because it's the living, eternal living water or something. Oh, God. It's, like, so obvious that I was raised <laughs> a, a, a heathen. <laughs> I don't know what. But I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. I kind of heard of this. <laughs> and so, like, and she drinks the water and she has this, like, amazing vision. She's like, oh, Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, my goodness. And then Agios also drinks the same water, because he was there too, but he doesn't have the visions. But then, is that why he was immortal, though? Or was that something else? It's hard to tell, because he also doesn't, it's not like Jesus gives her, like, like, it's just that he drank from the same well as this woman. It's just a normal well. Yeah, but Jesus was there, though. But yeah, Jesus it, like said. it's not even like he was drinking with Jesus. It's not like he was standing there with the two of them. Like it was right before or right after Jesus came. Like Yeah, he like watched that happen and then drank the water. Yeah, he watched everything and Jesus said things like, um, the water I give them will be- will become in them a spring of water welling up with eternal life. Eh. So Yeah. So he he drank after they left, I think. Because also, uh, I was like, oh, maybe maybe she'll be immortal, too, and she's, like, Mrs. Claus. But That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> but she's not. <laughs> no, she's never heard from again. <laughs> I mean, except for in the Bible, I guess. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. But not in this book, no. <laughs> and then... they He, seeing this, even though he hasn't been a believer thus far... 
Agios is like, yes, fucking Jesus, we're going to do this. We're going to sell all our <laughs> and follow him around. And Krampus is fucking overjoyed because he still has this little tiny baby Jesus he carries everywhere and still like cries about Jesus every day. And they, this is like the sort of comical part in the movie where you're just one step behind the protagonist the yeah. entire way. Yeah. Like every city they get to, they're like, Jesus was just here. You just missed him. And they just follow him through every major Bible story. And it's bizarre. And uh, Krampus is getting up in years. So he's hoping that if they find Jesus, they can. Oh, and also Krampus has some condition where he has a bad heart. And whenever he gets scared, too scared, he has like some sort of a- attack where his heart does something bad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So he's hoping... And also, so to be clear, Geos is hoping that Jesus will cure Krampus. And Krampus is like, whatever. Like, Krampus doesn't seem to care that much. He just loves he just Jesus. Wants Jesus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they follow him around and stuff, and then eventually... You know, they get to crucifixion times and they see Christ crucified and they're really torn up about it. And Geos is basically like, well, I almost believed in God for like a year, but now because he's letting this happen to Jesus, I don't believe in him anymore. And they're really sad that Jesus is dead. So they leave. Wait, doesn't... But Krampus dies like right then, doesn't he? He dies like... An hour later or something. Yeah. He's... He, he, they managed to get away from the crucifixion site and then Krampus dies. And Krampus's one thing is he's like, bury me in water because my father died in water. And if I'm in the water, I can be with him. So after Jesus is dead, Krampus is dead. And Jesus is like, well, fuck, you know, this was my other son and now he's dead. And my, my first son is dead and everyone's dead. So I guess I'm going to die too. And he ties Krampus's body to his back and jumps into a waterfall. And that's like the end of part one of the book. Yes. Which has been like two thirds of the book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then part two starts where he like has been underwater for a while and he hasn't died yet. So he gives up. <laughs> Back to the surface. <laughs> yeah and then it and then it like cuts forward in time right but not in a very clear cut fashion but then he's like okay so then he is just full on wolverine in a sadness cave (laughs) (laughs) like 100% he just like lives with himself in this cave and he's like so sad but he can't die like literally this is the wolverine the movie, the second one that is entitled The Wolverine, this is how it starts. It's exactly this scenario. <laughs> and then, um, and then it's not clear to us exactly, like, how much time has passed, but then a little boy comes looking for his lost lamb, and it just... Oh, I just got that it was a lost lamb having to be returned to the flock. <laughs> I mean, it's oh. pretty subtle. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, he man. he helps him find the lamb, and he's kind of like, you shouldn't talk to me more, because it's dangerous. 
And the little boy is like, are you going to hurt me? He's like, no, it's just like bad things happen to people who I love. And it's like sketchy. But the boy comes back anyway. And they're kind of friends. And the little boy starts telling him stories about Jesus. But he doesn't realize there's stories about Jesus at first. Yeah, he's real slow on the uptake. But eventually <laughs> he's like, this sounds like stuff I saw happen. And it doesn't see he doesn't seem to be like super aware of how much time has passed. Right. Yeah, they yeah. refer to it as like a couple generations of men has gone by. Yeah. Um, so eventually, um, like some plague comes through the town and the boys uncle who was training him to be a priest and his parents are very sick so he asks Aegeus to go down to the village and help take care of them so he does and in the process like realizes that the person that this little boy Nicholas has been talking about has been Jesus like his buddy Jesus and that a gazillion years have passed and like people worship Jesus now and he's just floored that his buddy Jesus is now worshipped by all of these people. Yes. Um, So he he does go down and he does, like, kind of help the dying people and he meets the town priest and the priest says, hey, like, Nicholas's uncle, who's also a priest, these were his special Bible scrolls. He would want Nicholas to have them. Why don't you give them to him? So he brings them to Nicholas, and he's like, okay, I need you to teach me about Jesus. Yes, like a little child. Teach me like a little yeah. child. And the priest is like, hey, that's the thing Jesus said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and prior to this, um, as a reward, because he wanted to give him a reward for finding the lost lamb, and he wouldn't take anything, mm. so he brought him this big red jacket of his uncle's mm-hmm. as a gift. Yes. And he's still carving little wooden figurines as well, I guess, is important background information. Yeah, and I think also by that point, his carvings have gotten more and more intricate because clearly he has to work his way towards plastic. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So he he and Nicholas become BFF forever, and he's still kind of resistant because all of his surrogate sons die and Nicholas is put in jail for loving Jesus so much at some point by the emperor and then Constantine becomes the emperor. So it's okay. Cause now everybody loves Jesus again. And Nicholas is taken out of jail and Aegeos goes around town and like hides little toys for all the little kids in town. And they always just see like a flash of red robe. Mm-hmm. So they think that it's Nicholas because of his red priest frock or something. Yeah. I don't know. And then Nicholas gets old and dies. And on his deathbed, Aegeus is like, hey, I'm immortal and I know Jesus. And Nicholas is like, cool. (laughs) 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 And and then um, the priests are like, hey... Nicholas wanted you to, like, you can have something in Nicholas's if you want it to remember him by. And he's like, I want that red coat. Which I thought was confusing because he already had a red coat. Yeah. But he's I, a cloak. He had the coat, but now he has a cloak. I see. 
<laughs> He's super Santa now. Okay, great. <laughs> and then it's just like one page of, and then, oh, and then the people are like, by the way, what's your name? I thought, were you his, were you also named Nicholas? And Agios is like, yeah, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And then, and then there's like one page that's like, and then Nicholas understood that like the reason he had a mortal life was because he had so much to give. And he knew that he would one day see Jesus again, but until then, he went as far north as possible toward the shining star, like, whatever, whatever, the end. (laughs) Yep. And, And it's, I mean, I'm sort of making myself sad again. It's not as sad as the Christmas letter, like, by no means is it as sad as the Christmas letter, but it's pretty bleak for Santa. It was bleak, but it felt more to me as I was reading it. And I think I said this somewhere to someone, maybe it was just to Becca on our way home, but like the Christmas sweater felt bleak in the, oh my God, like I can tell this is autobiographical and it's Mm -hmm. horrible and it's painful. Whereas this felt bleak more to me in that like, um, and I, I am no in no means saying this um, in any way to put down teenagers because I did the same thing when I was a teenager. But if you read fan fiction by teenagers, their thing is being as cruel to their favorite characters as possible. Right. Like that is they write stories where like their favorite character is abused as a child and then like molested and then almost murdered and then broken up with and raped and beaten and all of his friends abandoned him because of a misunderstanding. And like they they take there's something satisfying, I guess, about seeing that done to their faves. And that's what this felt like. Like it didn't feel bleak like the Christmas sweater because it wasn't like, oh, my God, this is this man's sad life that he's turning into a story and it's horrible and realistic it was like how many more horrible things can i make happen to my main character in my story i'm going down a checklist that's true but those stories or at least the ones that i read they there would be a ton of that and then like the one person who understood and would like wrap them in a blanket and feed them soup and I, you know, we talked about this, I think, with redeeming love. And I think redeeming love was like that. And this, there's no that. It's just, oh, and then he lived forever by himself and he was Santa and all the kids loved him. But he never, I guess what I'm saying is, where's Mrs. Claus? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess I can see that. I can absolutely see that. But I guess for me, I'm saying because that it felt that sort of over the top it didn't it didn't bother me the way that the christmas sweater bothered me yeah no same yeah christmas sweater was an assault on the soul whereas this just was more head scratchy and like all right but okay yes <laughs> yeah it does i know i know i keep comparing it to fan fiction but it's just so obvious that that's what it is yes like to the point where they come up with these like ridiculous ways to get him to every like major bible story like there in the background or like as the impetus for certain things that happen in the bible i definitely remember and i don't i'm not even sure why i read this because I didn't even really like Lord of the Rings, but I, maybe somebody like said it. I don't know. There was some like pretty popular Lord of the Rings fan fiction that was just 
this one teenage girl like fell through a portal or whatever and was hanging out with them and every single like main thing that they do she was actually the one who figured it out like she was the one who when they're trying to solve that riddle she was like oh maybe you're just supposed to say friend I don't know I don't know just a thought and then it works like every single thing like this teenage girl does it this is that but with the bible (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes that is that is absolutely what it is and I'm sure there are other stories like that in other fandoms but that Lord of the Rings story was the one that most clear is like, oh, it's this. It's this. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, we ready for some dramatic readings? Yeah. (laughs) All right. So we're going to start off with uh, Agios acquiring his slave slash son slash friend slash something more. Krampus. And Kate will be the Casper, the king who gives Krampus to Aegeos, and I will be Aegeos slash the narrator. I loathe how his owners treated that poor man. Casper told Aegeos after they had left the mountain and caught up to the caravan. If you didn't like it, why didn't you do something about it? Aegeos asked. They were reclining in Casper's tent, enjoying a light meal of honeyed cakes and figs from the groves near the base of the mountains. For all his size and clumsiness, Krampus ate very carefully, pulling off small pieces of the dense cake and licking every crumb from his thick fingers. He stole the occasional glance at Aegeos, and each time Aegeos took time himself to smile a little. He wanted the big man to know that he meant no harm. I am not king here, and I am not a soldier. He spread his hands, revealing palms soft and unlined, the hands of a man unaccustomed to heavy physical labor or the heft of a sword. Aegeos didn't say anything, and Casper clapped, ending the conversation. Shall we see if we have met our mark? A servant hurried over and measured the frankincense in an ornate bronze cup. When the man nodded and reported... More than full measure, sir. The scholar smiled and glanced at Aegeos. Aegeos returned his gaze. Beside him, Krampus stirred restlessly. The flaps of the tent had been closed, and it was getting hot and stuffy. At last, Casper said, You have done well, Aegeos. What compensation would please you? Proof that Krampus is mine. You sold him to me, remember? Of course. Casper replied. He whispered something to the servant, who disappeared through a fold in the tent. Moments later, a scribe appeared. The scribe handed Casper a square of paper, the rare Egyptian invention made of pressed reeds. Here is the document. It says he belongs to you. I have sealed it with my own impression. Aegeus accepted the paper and rose. He motioned that Krampus should also stand, and the strong man scrambled up awkwardly, as though unused to having no fetters on wrists and ankles. Others in the caravan had demanded that Krampus be restrained, but Aegeus had prevailed. By now, the merchants knew of Aegeus' skill, and they heard whispers that he had done a great service for a king. He was a hero of sorts, but he longed to be away from the press of people and their prying eyes. Aegeus bowed his head, trying to find a word of farewell. He had not expected to return, had thought he would die in the mountain, but in accepting responsibility for the deformed slave, he had somehow tied himself to life again. 
But though Krampus would never again feel the bite of a whip, how were they to live? And where? Aegeus had no plans, and he hesitated. So... Super cool. Yeah. <laughs> he owns him, but he's his son. And his friend, but he owns him. <laughs> It's so weird. And also, <laughs> although he is named Krampus and is hanging out with Santa Claus, he will do zero Krampus-like activities. Nope. I kept waiting oh, for right. that to happen. I keep I kept waiting for Krampus to turn into Krampus and be some kind of villain within the story, which might have actually given it a little bit more pep, but... It's never happened. Because even even if it had been something like... Because there's a little bit of like, oh, people are afraid of him because he looks scary. But if there had been something more of that, like, oh, and children were legit frightened and so he couldn't, like, live in the village. Or, but it, it never really is that extreme to the point where there would actually be a legend about this guy. Yeah, if anything, it was more the opposite. Like, the children and the other people would be so cruel to him. Yeah. Like, mocking him that he was the one who was emotionally damaged by it and frightened. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't understand why Glenn Beck decided, you know, I need this character here, and I'm gonna call him Krampus. (laughs) That's gonna work and help. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, our next dramatic reading is uh, one that Kate talked a bit about earlier when, because it is just legit a sitcom-style stunt to where Aegeos gets to be the hero who makes sure Jesus gets into Jerusalem. And here, uh, Kate will be Aegeos, and Caitlin will be uh, the foolish official, and I'll be another random guard. By that time, Joseph and Mary had almost arrived at the gate, just behind Aegeos. Aegeos turned and cried out, My old friend! He lurched over to the official, speaking loudly like a lunatic or a drunken man, and embracing the grey-robed man in a bear hug, forcibly turning him so that his back was to the gate. I haven't seen you in years! You look exactly the same as you used to, Phidias! How are you? The startled official struggled in Aegeos' strong grip. Let go of me! I'm not! Aegeos spun him around in a quarter turn as Joseph and Mary walked just steps away. Let me look at you. Aegeos laughed, lifting the furious official momentarily off his feet, an outraged squirming fellow with all his attention on this bear of a bearded barbarian. Aegeos set him down again and pretended to brush dust from the shoulders of his robe. You don't even recognize me, do you? No wonder I was so thin in those days. And just look at how stout I am and look at my beard. I didn't have this when we sat together on the seat of a Roman galley, did I? But tell me about yourself. You're so well-dressed, Phidias. You must have done well in the world, my old friend. How did you get your freedom? The man's face was scarlet. I've never been a galley slave. No shame in having once pulled an oar, Phidias. Aegeos bellowed, laughing and thumping him on the shoulder so hard he made the official stagger. Once you earn your freedom, you're equal to any Roman citizen. By Jove, Phidias, I I can see you've done well. A rich man, I'll wager. My old friend. Say, buy a drink for an old shipmate, will you? The two Roman guards were laughing. They sauntered over and one said, Be off with you, fellow. You've made a mistake. This is a man from Herod's court, not a former slave. Aegeos blinked as though trying to work that out. 
He saw Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were now safely passed and in the street, turning to the right and vanishing among the, the crowds. Not Fidias Simondes? You look so much like him. No, I suppose he'd be much older than you are. Not as good looking. What a fool I've been. A thousand pardons, noble sir. Forgive a poor man's honest mis mistake. I meant no disrespect. He bowed low and stumbled off, the guards' laughter and the officials' muttered curses following him. Oh, Agios. <laughs> what antics you get up to. I feel like that's straight out of a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. This was a bug. <laughs> Our last dramatic reading will be from OG Nicholas's deathbed, where uh, Agios is, is with him. Caitlin will be Agios, and Kate will be Nicholas, not the immortal one. And I will be the priest. My son, Agios said, clasping the aged hand. I didn't know. Not until you taught me. Even when you were only a child, you showed me what it means to give without grudging, to live with love. Nicholas, I saw Jesus, but I never knew him. Not until you showed me the way. How long does it take for a man like me to understand? Help me again. I once prayed that God would allow me to serve him until Jesus's mission was through, but I didn't know how to do that. Nicholas squeezed Adios's hand with his frail fingers. You need no help, my friend. How can any of us understand it all? the gift from that baby you guarded, from that holy man who died on the cross. It doesn't ask understanding, but only acceptance. Your prayer has been answered. You've become a legend, a guardian, and a mystery. What do you mean? A gripped Nicholas's hand even tighter, but just like that, Nicholas had fallen asleep. The others a Geos had mourned and, mourned had died by violence, or suddenly, and this slow decline was one of the most heartbreaking things he had ever encountered. Nicholas drifted in and out of consciousness, but sometimes when he opened his eyes, Egeos could see the recognition there. Other times, it was as if Nicholas was already gone. For two days, Egeos didn't leave his beloved son's side. Then, late one night, Nicholas took a deep breath and whispered his, final, his first words in days. They were clear and lovely, a call to arms. Persevere, Agios, until Jesus's mission is complete, until all the ends of the earth shall hear. Remind all mankind to fight the good fight. Remind them to give in to give in memory of God's greatest gift. Give them comfort and hope. Promise me, Father. Agios swallowed. I promise, Father. Nicholas's smile was gentle. You've never called me that before. You are a priest. Geo said simply. Nicholas drew a deep breath. Then his features relaxed and the smile became a look of expectancy, of delight. He didn't breathe again. Tears dripped off of Geos's cheeks as he leaned forward over his friend. He kissed his forehead in blessing, in goodbye. Farewell, son. Farewell, father. His back bent with the burden of loss. But God gave me a back for bearing burdens, he whispered to himself. He stood beside the bed. The whole town mourned Nicholas's passing. With his own hands, Agios carried the frail body to the tomb and placed it safely inside. I have buried three sons now, he thought. But he hoped to see them all again in the fullness of time. 
the priests of the church thought of Agios as a faithful servant of the bishops. They offered him a place among them, but he gently refused. One asked, What do you want, then? You deserve something. There is one thing, he said. They were surprised when he named it, for it was only a well-worn garment that Nicholas had set aside years before, but they gladly gave it to him. Is that all? Agios said, Father Nicholas gave me a gift already. This is plenty. Sir, some say you are the bishop's uncle. Nicholas, too. Is that your name? It is a good name, Agios said. Yes, I would be honored to share it. By the way, one thing, he says I've buried three sons now, but isn't it actually four? Because he had, like, the stillborn child or whatever, and then the other son... And then Krampus and then Nicholas? I think they specified the other child was a daughter. Oh, okay. And everyone knows girls don't count. Not at all. Nope. <laughs> cool. See, I mean, this book, I mean, it's not terrible. It's just very confusing. Yeah. It wasn't terribly written, even, like, prose-wise. It was confusing. It was just weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely better written. I was wondering who the ghostwriter was for this one, because yeah. definitely better than the two they had for Christmas Sweater. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Glenn Beck maybe doesn't have a ghostwriter, because he's yeah, really everything in the camp where, like, it's so weird that I think it's just him. <laughs> yeah, nobody else is credited, so it could just be him. Mysteries. I mean, of course, it's probably, like, ghostwritten by God. Yes, well... <laughs> It is divinely inspired. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's play some Would You Rather. Sounds good. All right. Would you rather watch Jesus be crucified and thus gain immortal life? Question mark. Maybe that's why he had immortal life. Or have a vision of a Jesus-like guy in a cornfield and be confused and sad about it for the rest of your natural life. Which, by the way, that was that was what happened in the Christmas sweater, I think. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm having trouble with this one because crucifixion is gross, mm-hmm. and I don't know that I want to be immortal. Right. But the Christmas sweater did really hurt. Yeah, and so if you are actually living the Christmas sweater, I just don't know like what kind of psychic damage that's going to do to you. Although, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm going to, I'm still going to go with Jesus like dude in a cornfield because, I mean, I guess Glenn Beck did eventually get sort of okay and kind of woke. So maybe it's all is not necessarily lost. Yeah, he went through the suffering and then he came out as something. I don't know. Yeah, I I think I'm with you. I'm confused by the whole scenario, but I'll go with it. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm in the same camp. It's kind of like, I read the Christmas sweater, and I was already confused by the Jesus-like dude in the cornfield, so I feel like maybe I'm prepared to take him on in real life, and crucifixion (laughs) is just gross. (laughs) Yeah, and then also, I mean, as discussed, like with the Twilight books, etc., I don't necessarily know that I want a mortal life, especially, I mean, the cool thing about it would be, like, you you could be rich, if, you know, if you invest right and bide your time, but, ugh, so annoying, though, <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> All right, how about, this is, 
actually pretty similar now that I look at it. Whatever. Would you rather <laughs> become immortal and be forced to watch everyone you love die or read the Christmas sweater again? Ah, oh, jeez. That's actually hard. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> God, jeez. <laughs> I mean, maybe it wouldn't be so bad the second time, but what if it's worse? <laughs> The second time you kind of, like, know what's coming, and so the whole time you're, like, waiting for it. I mean, I feel like for me, the two big distinctions from this, between this question and the previous question is, one, you don't have to watch a crucifixion in this one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And two, you don't have to live the sad, confused Jesus vision. You just have to read about it in the book. But somehow it seems worse. Yeah, which is why it's making me lean more towards the immortality thing, because, like, (laughs) yeah, it's balls, but if I don't have to watch a crucifixion, you know, I can make new friends and family. (laughs) I think, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Immortal and Forced to Watch Everyone I Love Die. Wow, pressure. I know. I think, I think I'd have to read the Christmas sweater again because I would cheat a little bit and like rewrite it as I went. Maybe add like a disco scene or something. Oh, that sounds fun. I don't know. I just feel like a disco scene in the middle of the cornfield with you know some great disco moves would just liven it up. And I have a weird sense of humor, and it would just work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I do feel. Like Kelly Clarkson told me that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So mm-hmm. I, I think I would also, I think I would read the Christmas sweater again. I mean, I would really have to pace myself, but I think I could do it. Mm. Duarte right. agrees. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. And then last up, would you rather? <laughs> I'm just reading this one for the first time. I really <laughs> Would you rather learn to whittle little bit? <laughs> oh boy. Would you rather learn to whittle little baby Jesuses? <laughs> or be. <laughs> oh boy, you guys. <laughs> or. <laughs> Crying or be a little whittled baby Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not even drunk, you guys. It's just (laughs) just drunk on Glenbeck. But I would much rather learn. I think that would be a fun skill to have. Yeah, same. I I could use a talent. And if you are a wooden sculpture, I mean, could I talk? Could I, like, talk and freak people out? I mean, you're a little baby Jesus. The power is yours. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I'm still going to go with learning how to whittle, though. <laughs> okay, I could <laughs> also angry. whittle some little cats, too, probably. Like, once I get the human baby shaped down, I can expand my skill set. Yeah, I would definitely learn to whittle. <laughs> well, you live in Vermont now, so you pretty much have to. 
It's actually a requirement. They won't let me get my driver's license until I can prove I have skill. <laughs> oh, good game, everybody. Uh, we'll move on to our reader's advisory, where we'll suggest things to read instead of or in addition to... What was this book? Oh, Immortal Nicholas. I almost said Christmas Sweater again. <laughs> oh, no. But I don't actually have to read that again. It was just hypothetical. <laughs> oh, in addition to Immortal Nicholas, which first off, my personal favorite Bible fan fiction, the musical and movie Jesus Christ Superstar. I like both the 70s movie version and the one from a few years ago where uh, Mel C is Mary Magdalene and Jesus was cast from a British reality show and like a <laughs> lot of the songs take place as tweets that are projected on screen. Wait, this exists? It's so good. <laughs> yeah, also uh, Tim mentioned as Judas. Oh my God. Like for a while it was only on a British import DVD, which I have. And I had to, like, download a special player to be able to play it. But now there's an actual... And it was worth it. But now there's an American DVD that you could just get. And just play, I, like, normal. <laughs> that is all my Christmas list now. Excellent. <laughs> my suggestions would be... And I think I um, have recommended these before. The Life and Adventure... Adventures of Santa Claus by Frank L. Baum, which is a different, less Jesus-y Santa origin story that involves more like fairies and nature and shit. I really liked it as a kid. I read it. For a few years, I read it every year. It was not like a family tradition, but I read it on my own every year at Christmas for like four or five years and then kind of fell out of the habit. Um, And also, The Latka That Couldn't Stop Screaming by (laughs) Lemony Snicket. Quality is a picture book about a latka that can't stop screaming and basically details all of the Bible stories while looking for, like, a good Jewish family to spend the holidays with. It's pretty good. It is pretty good. Yeah, and I would uh, just straight up recommend the Bible because (laughs) uh, as a hedonistic non-believer who went to Catholic school, it really brought me back reading this book. (laughs) It's a lot of the same stuff, and you're like, really? But and people like this, so just go for the Bible, and you'll get a lot more cultural references in the world. It's true. I learned a lot of my like Bible stories from Jesus Christ Superstar, and have slowly been learning that they took some liberties (laughs) with Jesus Christ Superstar. So. Yeah, maybe I should read the Bible at some point. <laughs> or at least some Wikipedia entries. There you go. Um, I have a few more recommendations. Uh, when we were putting this together, I was trying to remember, when I was in high school, I read a like a Bible fanfiction book because this is like a very peak Renata story. I was on an overnight uh, theater trip. And I had read my book, and I didn't have anything to read. So I borrowed something from one of the girls I was sharing a room with. And she had this Christian fiction book that I read. And I remember just being, like, I enjoyed reading it, but I was also like, what? And it was about this, like, Roman, or she she was Jewish, but she was a slave to Romans. But she loved Jesus. And, like, 
it was in this sort of vein where like terrible things kept happening to the slave and it ended with her being fed to a lion for being a Christian or like a whatever. Anyway, so I did some Googling. I figured out what it was. It's called A Voice in the Wind and it's by our old friend Francine Rivers, Redeeming Love. And this book apparently was also very popular among um, evangelical Christians as was Redeeming Love. And so I don't even know if I recommend it, but it exists and uh, and it is kind of like this book. <laughs> and then another thing that I don't know if I would recommend because I haven't actually seen it, but there was like a comedy horror Christmas movie called Krampus that came out, I think, last year. Uh, and I know Adam Scott was in it and I like him generally. So it might be kind of fun. I would recommend that. I have seen it. Oh, great. Uh, so it probably would give more of a Krampus origin story than this book did, since this book did not do that at all. <laughs> um, I'm going to recommend one more thing. I don't know, maybe this is sort of an anti-recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a picture, a picture book called A Perfect Snowba- Snowman by Preston McDaniels, which, um, it came out when I was working at the bookstore, and... It is basically emotional terrorism. Like, it is a book that is created to make whoever is reading it cry and, you know, children to think about heaven and Jesus. And the general concept is that this the children in the town make this perfect snowman with a perfect scarf and hat and carrot nose. And he's, like, so full of himself that he goes wandering in the woods. But then he sees a rabbit who's freezing to death so he and hungry so he gives him his carrot nose and his hat to keep warm or his carrot nose and then he sees a cat who's freezing to death and he gives him his hat and he sees a little girl who's very cold so he gives her his scarf and then spring comes and the snowman melts and he gets to go to heaven because of his good Christian charity where he's reunited with the rabbit and the cat and the little girl because they all died of exposure that winter. What? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Kate. <laughs> Kate. <laughs> this book came out and we would... My, I come into work and my boss is sobbing, like full on sobbing. And I was like, what's wrong? And she hands it to me. And then I read it and I start full on sobbing. And like the store manager came back and was like, what's wrong? And we like just handed him this book and he, you know, didn't have that reaction. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's a book that exists. Cool. That seems like a good way to end this segment. Uh, we'll have, we'll have these and other oh actually i did want to highlight this one specifically i i lied neil gaiman wrote a short story called nicholas was and apparently it was originally like what went out in his christmas cards that year which is like another reason why i would love to be on neil gaiman's christmas card list but anyway it's this (laughs) sort of like depressing short very short story about how santa claus is basically like cursed with this confusing immortal gift and uh, it, it made more sense, I think, than this one. But yes. it's super short. You can read it in its entirety on his website, or it is collected in the short story collection Smoke and Mirrors. And we will have all of this and more on our website, worstbestsellers.com. And now we'll move on to our candy pairing. 
where we will suggest a I'm sorry, I forgot that I normally explain what candy pairing is in case <laughs> in case this is your first day at worst bestsellers. Uh, which it's like a wine pairing for a meal, but it's a candy pairing for a book. You get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfectly self-explanatory concept. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my candy pairing is not actually a candy. Uh, it is the sad out-of-season orange from the bottom of your Christmas stocking, which once upon a time was probably a special treat in the middle of winter, but now it's just an old-fashioned tradition that you half-heartedly endure in order to justify stuff you like better. Do you actually get an orange in your stocking? Yes. Really? Yes. That's cool. It's a thing. I mean, I know it's I know it's like a tradition, but... I like I'd heard of it, but I didn't realize people were still actively doing it. Yeah, I thought that yeah, was Yeah, my mom still history. does it. Cool. Well, my candy pairing, I wrote those chewy Christmas mints, and I assume that you probably know what I'm talking about, but in case that you don't, I googled it and found out that their correct name perhaps is Christmas peppermint soft candy nougats. And it's like a, <laughs> it's like a chewy starlight mint, but in the middle it's got a tree printed into the candy and it's like fine it's like kind of but it's more just confusing it's like why couldn't we just have a regular peppermint i get like it doesn't really seem like it's an improvement but okay i'll eat it yeah i feel like my uh my candy pairing is very much in that vein i would say white chocolate kit kats which is a perfectly nice candy that's been around for ages well regular kit kats anyway until someone decided they can make it the story i i mean the candy uh, better, and they just made it super weird. I like both of those candies. You do? I didn't I know do. you liked chewy Christmas mints. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is the book for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm learning so much. <laughs> okay, let's play the Rock Paper Snicked, our most favorite game, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if you're in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if you were in this book, and Caitlin will choose which one would most enhance the book, or choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. All right. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson, uh, the sexiest man alive, congrats, were in this book. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be chilling in the village by Aegeus's mountain home and after Aegeus's first few weeks of crazy sad drunkenness the rock would recognize that something deeper was going on there and he'd force Aegeus to sit down and sober up and talk about what happened to him and Aegeus would have issues opening up at first but the rock's winning personality and empathy would eventually make him feel comfortable enough to share his feelings in the end, he would cleanse himself of his pain much earlier and catch on to the whole do good deeds and you'll be spiritually rewarded moral a lot more quickly and without all the angsting and suiciding. That's cool. This was tricky to write because Wolverine is kind of already in this. Like, a good <laughs> quarter of the book is just a Geos as Wolverine. But... Okay, we'll go with this. And I'll say if Wolverine were additionally in this book, he would be hanging out in a sadness cave next door to Aegeos. Aegeos would bring him a small carved Wolverine, and after learning that his cave neighbor is a recovering alcoholic, Wolverine would thoughtfully drink all the wine in the area. <laughs> Just to be helpful. <laughs> uh, 
Although he would also eat Nicholas's lost lamb, thus teaching Nicholas a valuable lesson about being a good shepherd. Young Nicholas would stop hanging out with men in caves and just become a regular type priest. Aegeus and Wolverine, as strong, immortal people, would both eventually join the Weapon X program and get superpowers, additionally to being immortal. Uh, Santa Claus would never become a thing, and kids would just get presents from their parents. Uh, Well, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is one of the best people of all time, so I was naturally pulled towards him, as I have been every other time. But truly, Wolverine already exists in this story and more wolverine can only enhance it and make it better so that's marvel's philosophy (laughs) yeah positively wolverine all the way yeah but of course there are no losers at the rock paper snack no (sighs) especially not the sexiest man of 2016 no true all right and now we'll go on to the moral of the story Mine is, when in doubt, retreat to your sadness cave. Mine is, before you give up all hope forever, maybe wait around like a day or two or three for the dust to settle first. And mine is, buying slaves usually results in a biffle. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And now we will move on to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will give his opinion about the book. Well, I mean, Duarte, I know you already spoke up earlier about the wood carving. I, I, I get that you do think wood carving is pretty cool and useful. I don't think I agree that there should have been any more time devoted to wood carving, especially not to, like, more cat toys. I think it just would have gotten weighed down in that. And while I appreciate your suggestion that maybe instead of training dogs to carry his sled, Aegeus could have trained cats, I just think that cats' temperaments are not really suited to that, which is no offense intended to cats. In fact, you can take it as a compliment that cats are meant to be more than just servants for humans. (laughs) Absolutely. And I will definitely send you those cat treats quickly so that you give me better presents. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. All right. Thank you, Duarte. As ever, we appreciate your wise words. And now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? I mean, I just really hope I can get through a Christmas season without another Glenn Beck book. Mm -hmm. That is my (laughs) eternal wish. And I hope it comes true one time. I mean, I don't think he wrote one this year. Well, it's still in my year this year. Right, that's true. Yeah. I mean, next year, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think 2017, I don't want to jinx it, but that looks good. I mean, he got woke, so anything could happen. Maybe he'll write, like, uh, I don't know, like a Hanukkah book or something? I don't think I want him to do that. As soon as I said that, I was like, ooh, he better, better not. <laughs> now, he, now he's going to. <laughs> ah, the secret. No. Uh, <laughs> stop thinking about Glenn Beck entirely, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, if he wrote another semi-autobiographical one about his more recent life and his, like, becoming more self-aware, I think I would actually be interested to read it because I'm just so curious. That's a good point, question mark. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. Well, I mean, let's face it. We probably will read it. (laughs) (laughs) 
whatever it is. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well, thanks uh thanks for listening and thanks to Caitlin for joining us again. We're glad you survived. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> If you want more of this kind of thing, you could <laughs> like us on Facebook, where we're the worst bestsellers, spelled normally, or on Twitter, where we're the worst bestseller with no S, because Jesus needed that S to protect Jesus with. It didn't really make sense to me at the time, but I went with it. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you can join our Goodreads group on goodreads.com or visit worstbestsellers.com to get a more straightforward link to that. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And if you do, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it pops us up a little bit in the listing and makes it easier for people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, we might invite you to read the next Glenn Beck book with us. (sighs) you can also donate to our patreon at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers if you're not familiar with patreon it's a crowdfunding website where you can uh, pledge a small recurring monthly donation and if you do you get all sorts of perks for being one of our followers and the money helps us do things like buy new recording equipment and record extra episodes for you which we we have recorded our first bonus episode and haven't released it yet. By the time you're listening to this, maybe we have. I don't know. You will, if you are listening to our first bonus episode about Christian Mingle the movie, it will become super apparent that we are also spending your Patreon money on alcohol to get through this. Because <laughs> we were pretty wasted. Steak <laughs> <And> cakes. <laughs> oh boy you guys oh boy but uh also we really appreciate it more than anything it just makes us feel super warm and fuzzy that people would support this this important work that we're doing over on patreon so thank you all of you yes and we'll be back in two weeks with our annual best and worst of 2016 well we don't do best and worst of 2016 every year You guys get it. You guys get how time works. (laughs) And uh, part one is uh, children's and young adult books. So get ready. That that was more aggressive than I meant. I don't know. I think it's been apparent this whole episode that the stress of the holiday season is getting to me already. And goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Ah, hell. Neighbors, knock it off.